All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. All right, let's get this ball rolling. I guess a uh, happy new year, eh? Yeah, happy new year, man. <laughs> yeah. I no, got three, I didn't I use got it three lights, baby. Okay. I got three. Yeah, you, look, you look good. Sexy. You look good. Yeah, no, I feel uh, good. Was that the okay. second or third? This is a, this is second. Third, the first no? was an intro. The first was ad lib. Oh, my gosh. La- the second one is going to be short and the third one are going to be short. Oh, God. They know you. Yeah. Scratch and sniff. <laughs> Scratch and sniff. Well, don't you remember those scratch and sniff stickers? Oh man, those were awesome. I kind of do now that you mentioned it. Scratch and sniff. I don't. Decade talks are weird, right? Like it's overflow now. Mm. Every fucking buddy on Twitter's doing it. But like, if you think about what food people ate ten years ago, or movies and music, and like even YouTube wasn't a big thing ten years ago. Like it's crazy how much things change. My my kids don't watch TV. They only watch YouTube. Yeah. Oh wow. This, this like you even existed, Netflix? but a little bit, a little bit. Mm. But it's it's mostly YouTube. You know. Yes. Oh, hold on. We're gonna talk about the decade in a second. I'm Leo oh. Gomez, and I'm here with Andrew. And guess who's finally back to our podcast? What? Mike. What? Mike. Building yes. the tension. You know. Yes. Me. Come on now. I like to build build expectations and all that fun stuff. Welcome to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Learn Your English is a company that is changing the way people study, learn, and teach languages. Learn Your English offers students and teachers strategies to effectively develop their abilities and skills in their own time. Bringing you the latest in English language learning and teaching, Teacher Talking Time explores all angles for teachers and students alike. Got a question? Comment. A story to share? Send us an email at info at learnyourenglish.com. This is the Teacher Talking Time Podcast. All right, so hello and a very warm welcome to the last episode of our podcast, Teacher Talking Time. I am your Ooh, host last today. one of the decade. Yes. Oh, hold on. We're going to talk about the decade in a second. I'm Leo oh. Gomez and I'm here with Andrew. And guess who's finally back to our podcast? What? Mike. What? Mike. Building yes. the tension, you know. Yes. Come on now. I like to build build expectations and all that fun stuff. When was the last time you were here on a podcast with three of us? And do you remember that? Um, that which episode? No, I don't exactly oh, remember which episode. No, that but... was your trip. Yeah, we talked about your wonderful trip to Barcelona. Barcelona. Oh, is that? Oh, before that's right. I before I moved out to beautiful Kelowna. Uh, we will be talking about Kelowna as well. Yeah, unfortunately, we'll be missing the Barcelona trip this year, but fond memories, fond yeah. memories. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. I'll miss the so weather. Could, yeah, that's true. But it's, the weather hasn't been bad in Toronto, I would say. Oh, today is okay. well, windy. Today, but look at the last couple of days. Come on. Anyway, it's not a weather podcast. Anyway, <laughs> I was just going to ask. Actually. <laughs> so we yeah. cannot let the year go by without ending the first year of our podcast with a reunion. And this is why we brought Mike back. Uh-huh. So, yes, yeah, so this is probably the last podcast you will listen to in 2019 and probably the first one you will check out in 2020. 
So if you're listening to this in 2019, I hope it was a good year for you. If you're listening to this in 2020, happy new year. Um, one more thing, guys, I have to say. Uh, this is uh, statistics very quickly here. Um, I just got this these numbers from Andrew. Um, our podcast has reached over 4,000 downloads this year. That's right. Hey. Yes, yes. Um, and as Andrew said in one of the posts, it has been extremely rewarding for all of us. And we hope that everyone that is listening to this podcast has really enjoyed. <clears throat> and according to our statistics here, the top five podcasts in 2019 were Dr. Paula Winky with Testing and Proficiency. That was Andrew's it was a good interview. One. Andrew, we're going to talk about quickly. What was one key takeaway you got from that podcast? Oh, that's a hard question. Just one. But I think it's just how proficiency is measured or how it's how it has been traditionally measured and how uh, she believes that that isn't the right way to do it. Though she also says that there might not be a way to do it per se because proficiency is not just uh, knowledge about language. It's how it's used and in what situations it's used. So I think it really made me think about what proficiency is or what it isn't and mm. how we as an industry need to judge student progress. And maybe the, the word proficiency isn't the right word and, and progress and ability is, is a more apt term. Mm. Mike, did you listen to that one? Yeah, I thought it was great. I just echo what Andrew would say and just like what I took away from it is that real kind of connection to backward design in terms mm. of curriculum, right? And exactly as by, Andrew said. You mean by backward said, design, just, just so people know exactly what we're talking about here. Yeah, so with backward design, we're actually talking about a goal. So maybe it isn't necessarily proficiency per se, but mm. maybe some, some goals that the, we want the learners to be able to, to do. And we can measure that with some various outcomes, right? So mm -hmm. once you know those outcomes, then you build assessments around those. And hopefully, again, going back even further, the um, teaching itself would kind of um, prepare the students for those. So, so I just thought it was a, I, th I thought it was great, and I thought that what she really acknowledged was what we're not acknowledging, mm -hmm. as Andrew said earlier, when we think of proficiency and what we're actually assessing. So, right. It was awesome, Andrew. Great job. Yes. Oh, cheers, dude. She did all the work. It wasn't even me. That's true. Well, we just have to ask the questions. The ah. second, the second most listened episode on our podcast was uh, Merrick Kikoviak. Did I pronounce that right, Andrew? Kichkoviak. Kichkoviak. Okay. It's actually the opposite. So Paula was was five, and Merrick was number four. So I went in reverse order. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Um, and he talked about native speaker bias. Andrew, you interviewed um, Merrick. What was the biggest takeaway for you? Um, with regards to that specific episode. Yeah, and I think this isn't something that is certainly not new and it's been around for a long time, but you know, it's kind of unfortunate that we're still talking about it, but basically it's just leaning towards the qualifications of a teacher in our industry rather than what their quote-unquote background or linguistic background is. And obviously we know that teachers can be, be good teachers can be made from a variety of molds and their first language is really irrelevant in that. So um, his his company that he's created is called Tefl Equity Advocates, and they they he and and they advocate for um, the promotion of non-native speaker teachers of English and helping them overcome these obstacles that that are, are being being lowered, but still exist in many parts of the world in terms of getting jobs and and getting prominent jobs or high-paying jobs um, based on factors outside of what their actual qualifications are. Right, right. 
Mike, you you are a native speaker yourself, and I think you and I have had long conversations about this whole idea of bias in our industry. Where do you stand on the native, non-native um, discussion here? Yeah, well, I think what we've talked a lot about, Leo, is, is what n the non-native English speakers actually bring to the table, right? And mm -hmm. I, I think back to actually my, my time as a um, director of studies in Japan, mm -hmm. and actually some of our best teachers were actually the non-native English speaking quote unquote, non-native English speaking teachers, right? because they were perhaps better able to analyze the language. They were able to approach the classroom from a learner's perspective, as well as a teacher's perspective. And I, and I think it's, as Andrew said, it's, it's quite a shame because actually in, in many countries and in East Asia, um, the region of East Asia might fall into that um, kind of category. Um, right. There is a kind of preference for the kind of native English speakers from, say, uh, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Africa, even, um, and and uh, it's it's limited a lot of opportunities for, say, people who have kind of grown up um, with English as an additional language and mm -hmm. now have pursued teaching as a career. So, um, however, it's it's oftentimes unfounded um, in, in kind of biases as Andrew pointed out and mm -hmm. as was pointed out in the podcast yeah, yeah no it was, it was a good I think the only thing I have to say about this whole um, native versus non-native speaker um, uh, discussion is that I am a firm believer that if you you can only teach something that you have learned yourself so if you are teaching um, a language you have to have um, you know experienced the 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 process of learning a language and it, it, regardless of what language you were trying to learn but i think everyone who is in the business of language teaching should have gone through the pains of learning a language successfully or unsuccessfully that's a different story <laughs> mm -hmm. but i think yeah, we I like have that. all gone through this experience and i think a lot of successful native speakers and non-native speaker teachers have gone through the pains of learning a foreign language so I think that's where we stand. Yeah, well said. I like that a lot. Learning, yeah. maybe not, just going through the process mm -hmm. of even attempting to learn successfully or unsuccessfully, right? It's unfortunate that doing the CELTA or all these TEFL training courses, they only have one foreign language lesson as opposed to having an entire foreign language course throughout yeah. that. I think that would be an, a welcome addition to a lot of teacher training courses is, you know what, we're going to teach you a separate language throughout this course. Of course, it's difficult to to decide which language because many people will have probably some mm. language backgrounds there. But anyway, that's the point. Um, the third episode, most listened episode, would be Dr. Patsy Lightbound. Mm -hmm. And that was, mm -hmm. uh, I think that was my interview and uh, it was an honor to interview her. It sure was. was. So I guess we throw the question I, back to you. What was the, what's the biggest, that's a hard question with her, but the biggest takeaway? Um, I think it was the, it's the quote actually, the, the practice is exactly what makes it perfect. Um, is this idea of, you know, practicing. I think, I think in the classroom, we spend a lot of time practicing things that don't really matter at, or things that won't really lead to better mm -hmm. learning as opposed to focusing on, again, going back to what we've discussed in a lot of our podcasts is I really want my students in the classroom to be using the language, to be conversing in the language. I don't want them to be talking about grammar. I don't want them to be thinking about rules. I want them to be trying to learn. I want them to be trying to use the language. And I want them to be attempting 
to fail because every time they fail, we can try to fail better the second time and repeating the tasks. I think that was the biggest takeaway for me. Mm -hmm. What about you guys? Yeah, I, I, I'll just jump in. I mean, I, I thought it was really good. I, I thought that what I she pointed out both in the, the in the actual podcast, but also in her presentation, which we refer to in that podcast, um, this idea of, of kind of, you know, just information overload that students are often have to deal with right and that mm -hmm. just clarifying that it's 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 nearly impossible to process both content right and also yeah. the the linguistic focus at the same time so this 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 idea of focus on form focus on um, content right and I, I i just thought that was great and i just love the focus on as you said leo just meaningful activities meaningful practice right mm -hmm. and it goes back to you know what what i think as a company what we've kind of focused on is you know what is good lesson and curriculum design right mm -hmm. and a lot of that is identifying the goals of the learners and mm -hmm. tailoring activities and materials to that and, uh, yeah and it's so nice to hear that something so basic it's so nice to hear someone so intelligent say something so basic Absolutely. and re reaffirm that yeah andrew yeah no i was just gonna say that because I these ideas keep coming up and I keep thinking to myself, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel here. This, this wheel has been in, is as old as the original wheel pretty much been in motion you know? for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it goes without saying, and, and it's such a basic idea, but one that I think we need to get back to as an industry is mm -hmm. we don't have to have something quote unquote to teach them every single day. Yes. We need to give them opportunities to use the language in meaningful context because I guess the idea of classroom instruction has come that one or, or people really struggle learning a language on their own. So they need some help and some focused instruction. But I think now that we're, you know, in the college scene and this colleges and universities have really grasped on to language courses and in other courses, content courses, they've kind of taken that idea and well, we, what are we going to teach them today? You don't necessarily have to have something quote unquote to teach them, but you need to give them some guidance in their meaningful interactions. And I think that's so basic, but it's something that's really vital to how languages are acquired and what Dr. Lightbon talked about during that that episode. Yeah. And it actually, sorry, just to jump in there, Leo, but yeah. you know, it's, a, I mean, Paulo Freire, Freire has talked a little bit about this, right? It's like, it's, it's as Andrew said, it's not about having something to teach them. It's about giving them an equal part in yes. the actual lesson, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And making them, making the lesson about them, right? Well, we're going to be talking about resolutions very soon, even though we don't believe in resolutions. Mm. But that was one of the questions that I'm going to be coming back to is this idea of like, what is one thing that you would like to see more in the classroom next year? But we're going to come back to that. This, the, the fourth most listened episode was uh, Neil McCutcheon, mm -hmm. our good friend Neil, who uh, we saw at the Task-Based Language Teaching Conference, which we haven't really podcast about. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's where, where Paula Winkie spoke, so I guess that one counts. Yeah, and we've done well, and we've done the workshops on task-based language teaching. It's information overload, as Andrew knows. Yeah. Yeah. Shameless plug, check cool. out Leo and Mike's webinar, two webinars from Tutela on uh, DBLT if you're interested. There you go. Yes, we're going to be offering a lot more webinars, not through Tutela, but through our own platforms from now on. So, Neil McCutcheon talking about task-based language teaching. Um, any key takeaways from that one? I guess not. Yeah. I guess I'll start. No, I'll I was gonna no, make I was go. gonna make a joke and say Neil gets needs to get a better microphone because editing that one was a pain in the ass. But 
uh, but from what he said, no, I think repeating ourselves here a bit, but but what you know what we're talking about in meaningful interactions in the classroom that's basically what TBLT stands for so i'm not going to repeat myself too much but you know obviously we we believe in that yeah mike anything about the uh, podcast yeah i think like basically what we as andrew said i think the the one interesting thing is i think it's it's quite important to also focus on again needs needs assessment right like what are the goals that the learner has and based on those goals what do they need to function and as as we've talked about already and to start with that as the starting point right yeah, yeah. well it's this idea of fluency eh, Mike? like we want our students to communicate and i find that a lot of the times when i have conversations with students outside the classroom often what i hear is today we talked about the past simple Today, we talked about the present perfect. Mm-hmm. Today, we learned the simple past. Today, we learned the passive. I mean, yes, that's great. They're, have, they're learning all this declarative knowledge. They can talk about the language. But again, it goes back to this whole idea that why are they learning the language in the yeah. first place? Yeah. Right? And I, not, I, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. no. And, and kind of just to go back in circles, I mean, this whole idea of proficiency, right? So, so, so what? So what? They can use the past tense. Can yes. they actually interact in meaningful yes. conversations yes and it's really funny because you know all three of us have a lot of experience with english for academic purposes and 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 you know if you if you kind of interview or kind of question the students who come out of those programs in terms of what's something they feel that they're still missing and very rarely is it signposts for writing an essay or right. signposts for giving a presentation it's more often than not like how do i start a conversation how do i uh-huh. show disagreement in a polite way how do i do something that doesn't embarrass myself right. and, and it's like yeah. not to place the learner in this kind of um um uh, mindset where they're 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 what's the word i'm looking for the, um, i was gonna say almost like a hamster but, wheel of, of grammar you kind of like but, go but back yeah, to the same i mean like what's the what's the again. yeah what's the point of it all right like yeah if, if teaching the student and focusing on the synthetic aspects of the syllabus mm-hmm. is yeah. really going to help the learner at the end of the day. Right? I, it, this is interesting because I remember having this conversation with Andrew. And Sorry, deficit staff. mindset was the word I was looking for. Right. Deficit. Mm-hmm. What is that? What is this Ooh. deficit? Mindset? So the deficit mindset's the idea where we always say that the learner needs to be taught. The learner needs help, but actually right. the learner brings a lot to the table. Right. And, um, and, like that. and and again, it's it's drawing on their resources, right? But if we're only teaching the past tense and 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 asking for this kind of display declarative knowledge, then mm. then it's we're not drawing on those resources, right? You know, it's funny. Going well, two things I have to say now. The first one is I had a conversation with Andrew in the staff room where we were, I think, we overheard a teacher complaining about uh, about students saying that the students don't seem to know how to write topic sentences they don't see i've taught them topic sentences but it goes back to that idea of teaching content you were teaching the content you're teaching what a topic sentence is but you're not teaching them how to actually yeah a topic sentence is the process yes yeah yeah, there's no process there Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and and to go back to the deficit mindset mike i i again i don't know if this is correct but i see it as like it's when you only see the negative in a situation. Like when you go to the classroom and, and you're focusing only on teaching, then where is the learning taking place, right? Like students yeah. are facing the opportunity to actually engage, to interact, and to produce language. That's the whole point of being in a classroom, I would yeah. say. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it, 
a, a kind of telltale sign of this, and I, I said, we're kind of getting off topic, is this kind of reliance, over-reliance on PowerPoints, right? Everything oh. starts with a top-down PowerPoint of, of how to do it. And There's a person and, on Twitter. And again, it kind of ties into what Neil was saying, you know, I mean, mm. the benefits of task and this kind yeah. of bottom-up approach, right? Yeah. Um, I was just going to say that there's a person on Twitter who collects PLT pet peeves. Maybe we can include that one as one of those pet peeves maybe it's how many there pet peeves go. does he have andrew 100 make a powerpoint a lot, i don't the know there's a lot though and uh, 145 it's a collection of pet peeves man yeah <laughs> yeah I should write a book about that anyway as so, you, anyway, one, one, one more thing as you guys let's were talking negative let's i was thinking negative. about um you know takeaways of what students say they learn because i think this is true of all of us when we were kids and you'd go home from school and your parents what would they ask you what did you learn in school today right Mm. And if our students get asked that question, the answers are what you guys are talking about. Right, today we, we, we learned the past simple or today we learned, you know, the, the subjunctive or whatever. Right. That's shouldn't shouldn't the answer be we learned how to and then fill in the blank? Yeah. 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 You know, so talking about goals for next year, I think as teachers, we can strive to have our students have those types of answers if they're asked or if they're reflecting on what they learned. Yeah, so instead of framing your lesson plan as using the simple past, we should say, today we'll learn how to talk about um, events that took place in the past or talking about a, a story, a funny story that happened to you or how you met your best friend. Yeah. That's a good story to just mm -hmm. bring naturally uh, to let the, the simple past naturally emerge from a yeah. conversation. It's like, how did you meet your best friend? And then do a task out of that. Anyway, sure. Mike. Yeah. No, I was just going to jump in and say, I mean, stories are it, right? Like, yeah. why, why isn't that just a great outcome? Oh, like, you know, I, I mean, oh, in today's lesson, we were talking about past events. But, you know, more than that, my, my coworker, my colleague, sorry, my classmate, one of, the, <laughs> my, one of those guys, maybe all three in some cases. Okay. But, you know, my classmate Leon was talking about um, this. And then he said this cool expression, which I had never heard before. And you know that's how it should be right yeah language is a social thing right it's totally from other subjects totally yeah. Yeah. well this show is on fire this is not even the first segment but i think we should make it the first segment but anyway i decided that today we're going to be dividing the show into three parts but we're going to try to keep these a little shorter because we've already um spent a lot of time talking about the top five podcasts i forgot to mention that the last episode the number five most listened episode no 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 number one podcast. this is the number one number one Number one. Oh, number one. Um, it was our introduction to the Learn Your English. Yeah, the three company. of us. Yeah. The yeah. first episode is the first episode. Yeah. So and actually, I didn't listen to that one. For the record, I did. I never did listen to that one. Well, I you you were there though. Time. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> you were. I'm pretty. But your then, voice yeah, is but there. But then again, yeah. I never listen. Yeah. Well, it's part of it. That's why part I of being a teacher. You. Yes. So, so in my the first dad segment, says all the time, you never listen. Gonna, so in the first segment of the show today, we're going to explore the concept of change. After all, a new year is about to end. A new one is going to commence soon. We're going to be looking at three different types of changes in how we have changed as teachers, not as people, because as people is a different story. It's a different podcast, self-help um, oh over the last years or even the decade. Is this even the end of a decade or not? Well, I mean, every year is the end of a decade. A decade right? is 10 years. It's so 10 years, every right? year yeah. is an end of another 10 years. So I don't know. <laughs> in the second part of our podcast, we're going to look at what worked and what didn't work in our classrooms, as well as discussing our 
formidable New Year's resolutions, which are things that we don't believe actually formidable. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a better idea for our resolutions this year. And in the last segment of the podcast, I will have a mixed bag of questions that go from movies to music, passing through DLT tweets. <laughs> oh my god! Love it. In books. So like, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back. You know, quality professional development is such an important part of the teaching industry, but it's surprisingly hard to come by. That's why I was so pleased to come across Learn Your English, a company providing online teacher education courses with a fresh perspective. My name is Erin, and I'm an English language teacher. After a decade in the classroom, I found myself teaching the same things in the same way. My learning seemed to have plateaued. I wanted to take charge of my learning, and I really like how the online Learn Your English courses don't prescribe anything. They motivate me to reflect on my teaching and propose tactics and ideas I hadn't considered. If you're a language teacher wanting to learn inside your busy schedule, I highly recommend their online courses on Thinkific. Head on over to lyenetwork.thinkific.com. That's lyenetwork.thinkific.com. Take control of your education. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, my name is Azat Bostash and I'm from Turkey. You are listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. All right, so we're back. We're going to be talking about... So this is the first segment of our podcast, and we're going to be talking a little bit about change. And to to start, to kick things off, I'm going to start with a a quote by um, a pre-Socratic philosopher, Heraclitus of Ephesus, who um, basically talked a lot about um, change. He said that life is flux. And he said that if 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 one understands that change is the only constant in life, then one will more easily recognize what he was trying to say. And his quote was basically that change is the only constant in life. The, the fact of the matter is, many of us, however, we avoid, we, we resist, and we even dread changes. Teachers also dread these changes. We tend to fool ourselves thinking that, um, you know, in order for change to happen, we need preparation, we need training, we need, we need time. Um, but the reality is, what we're doing, guys, is we're just procrastinating something that is inevitable as teachers. And we all know that in order for change to happen, we not only need to have a desire for change, but we also require a modification of our, of our behavior. And more importantly, as Kennedy and Edwards uh, uh, opined, our underlying beliefs and attitudes. So my question to both of you is when you look, when you look at the last 10 years of your teaching, okay, um, what, what are some of the beliefs perhaps, or, or attitudes that you had towards teaching that had an, an impact on your behavior and resulted in, in changing um, your teaching mm-hmm. or any sort of change that mm-hmm. you experienced? Yeah, it's a good topic. I think before I answer, I'll, I'll take issue with, with the one thing that you said there, and, and I know you're quoting, but I don't think yeah. change is a choice. I think change happens. I think the choice is how we deal with change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we adapt? Yeah. Because it, the choice is to adapt or, or not to adapt. I don't think that yes. the, the choice is to change or not to change. I think change is just as the world turns, you know, change happens. And we don't have any control over that. The control that we have, the decision we can make is how we adapt that change or how we mm-hmm. don't adapt mm-hmm. that change. But then I would say that this has two implications, Andrew. The first, well, again, we could be talking 
it depends on the degree of change that we're talking about. If we're talking about organic or more of a bottom-up change, which is coming from the individual, which is what we're going to be looking at, that's different. But if we're lo looking at um, what you said, which is a, a change that is driven or is top-down, for example, institutional change, then we, there's mm -hmm. nothing we can do. We just have to mm -hmm. adapt. So in a way, there are these two types of changes. And this is why I wanted to explore this yeah. idea of change. I, I um, guess a sports metaphor would be <laughs> in hockey... <laughs> You know, the, the game has changed so much in the last 10 years, let's say. Mm -hmm. And has it just changed or did someone make it change? I don't know. But 10 years ago, if you were a fighter or a, a tough mm -hmm. hockey player, uh, you had a, a big role in the game. And now you don't. And now you know, they had to force themselves to change to be able to show that they had skill. Otherwise, they don't have a job anymore. So that's just their choice. And if they didn't choose that, then they're out of the league, right? So I think that's the, the mm -hmm. choice of, or the reaction to change that happens, not you know choosing the change themselves, if that makes any sense. So have classrooms changed then, Mike? Have classrooms changed? Have, has technology changed? And has that had an effect on the way people teach now? Like, what do you, what do you, what's your take on this one? Yeah, I mean, I, jump in. I don't know. I know my, my classroom has changed, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, starting off as a, as a new teacher. And I think most, this is common for a lot of teachers, right? They feel this sense of wanting to be in control, right? And uh, I think in terms of my own classroom, I've, I've drifted away from that, right? right. I've, I've actually wanted less control over the classroom mm -hmm. and give more control to the students, both in charge of what we do and how we do it, right? And what triggered that change? Because I, I think this kind of change mm -hmm. requires developing an awareness of who you are as a person, as an educator also developing more accountability and having, a, 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 I would say, Mike, perhaps correct me if I'm wrong, but having a clear vision of you, what you want to become as a result of these changes, like the kind of educator, the kind of teacher that you wanted to become. I think that's what triggered those changes. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think this is, again, this could be something like institutionally. So, mm. so I've worked at different companies and different companies have, as you brought it up earlier, have their own philosophy of, of, you know, I used to work, I started off at Berlitz. Berlitz is very top down. You have to use the method um, to now where I, like all three of us, I think we go into a classroom and we, we just see what the classroom looks like and, and how the students respond in their current levels of confidence and um, uh, social development. And, and we, mm -hmm. we, we just roll with it. Um, and I think it's, it's a couple of things. I mean, obviously I've, I've trained and developed as a teacher professionally through the formal yeah. training but also it's it's uh, you you I, I guess i kind of developed my own little philosophy on on you know, what makes a good learning environment right mm -hmm. and and part and of what that would is, one of those things be well I, I, I part of that is the the ecosystem the atmosphere in the classroom and uh i've learned that top down can actually pollute the classroom right right and, and and it's hard to be a responsive teacher and provide meaningful lessons if you're not building that rapport right away mm -hmm. and building everything around the students rather than imposing it on them. Right. Um, yeah. I just, it's, it's, it's That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. And I think technology, just to go back to your question, technology has played a role in that. And sometimes technology has not played any role in it. Right. Like it's, um, I, I, again, it's just kind of this uh, emphasis of, removing the responsibility from me and putting it more mm. on the, the learners yeah but but andrew we have more technology you know technology has advanced oh um, no doubt we have podcasts no doubt. we have youtube we have i mean we have a myriad of, of resources out there 
but does that mean that we should be we should change the way we teach to adapt to technology or technology has to change <laughs> in order to adapt to the way we teach technology is not going to change to adapt to teachers i'll tell you that that's for sure <laughs> Um, <laughs> we can adapt it. Blasted adapt. technology. Um, I mean, no. I, I think change to adapt or to change for something is, is it's all about, you know, in, in teaching is, I always say, is, is a creative field, you know. So I think we need to try things and see if they work. Mm-hmm. And that's different for everybody's context. But, you know, I think if, uh, you know, new, over, you know, the last 10 years, lots of, lots and lots and lots of new pieces of technology have become available in the world that were not designed for teaching context, but that have become, you know, popular or popularly used in teaching context. And mm-hmm. if they work for you, then then you should use them. If they don't, they don't. But you'll never know. I think the part of change is trial and error and, and trying trying something mm-hmm. out and trying to see if it works. And as we know in language teaching, there's a thousand different contexts in which you could be teaching. So. Mm-hmm. Um, using podcasts in an EAP context maybe works or doesn't work in that setting that you're teaching and in, 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 a, in a general English maybe it's more applicable or whatever um, so I think technology can work and does work and I know we use it but like everything it, it's not universal so I think that's a tricky question but technology can be a, a really good tool but obviously like everything we can become over-reliant on it at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think this this has two main implications when you think about change. I'm just trying to connect both of your ideas here. As teachers, as educators, we we, we change, and as Andrew, as you said, Andrew, change is inevitable. It's, it's, it's life is flux, so we change our lessons depending on the students. If you teach the same lesson in one uh, session, you have to teach the same lesson on a different session, but with a different group of students, you would probably make a few changes based on the students. But we know that we very rarely change the way we think, okay? It's very common to see teachers claiming that they have 10, 15, 20 years of experience, but they're doing the same thing. And I'm gonna go back to Penny Ur here, who had that quote, you know, if, if you've been teaching for 20 years, uh, doing the, if, you, if you've been doing the same thing for 20 years, you don't have 20 years of experience, you have one year of experience repeated 20 times. So True. the fact of the True. matter is, True. some teachers are constantly developing while others aren't yeah so so two things i think change uh is something that people don't notice when it's in a very small time frame right so day-to-day change i don't think we, we notice that it's just part of the, the, the human nature right but if you look at what you're doing now versus what you're doing 12 months ago 24 months ago five years ago 10 years ago i think yes. that change is obvious even if it's not purposeful change even if it's just by accident if you compare what you're doing now to what you did five years ago, guaranteed there are major differences that you can look at. And then you can reflect on if those are positive or negative, right? Uh, the second thing is, I think, with change and with developing or altering technique, and, and think, Leo, you said that a lot of us as teachers don't change our mindset. Yes. Maybe not automatically, but I think for me, if, if I'm reflecting on the last decade of, of teaching, and for me, this is my first decade of teaching, is Congratulations. a yeah. lot of yeah. change for me is working with others. So meeting the two of you and, and learning from other teachers and, and reading and listening to podcasts. And that helps me get ideas. Now, I have a foundation of what I believe to be effective teaching. But when I listen to other people and, and work with other people, those also give me ideas to add, tweak, alter, mm-hmm. adjust, etc. Mm-hmm. So change as a word sounds drastic, but I think it, it doesn't have to be. 
that that was all I wanted to say. Yeah. And I know you didn't want to re- us to repeat ourselves, Leo, but like at the beginning of the year, we, we talked a little bit about habits, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe change is something that might be grand, more grand-esque, but, you know, just trying something new. Oh, yes. Yeah. Each class. Smaller you know, things. We'll smaller look into things, that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think what Andrew said is true. I think a change in, in your mindset, in our mindset, it requires a deeper and, and more complex change. And this is something that Carol Dweck talks a lot about in, in that book, Mindset. It's like you have to change your attitude and your belief, and then you have to change. And a lot of these changes, especially depending on the kind of change that you're talking about, it might it might mean changing your identity. You know, that, that might that might involve a little bit of change of identity. But I want to talk about three types of changes that Kennedy and Edwards have distinguished. Um, and they, according to them, these changes they can be represented on a cline of change with the extreme polarities of change as improvement at one end and change as a shift at the other. So I'll talk about the three very quickly, and then we have to think about one example of each. So okay. the first one is what he calls incremental change. So incremental change falls on the least extreme end of the continuum, and it, it may be defined as making small adjustments towards a target result or simply, as he says, doing the same thing but doing it better. Um, And Levi, in 1996, or 1986, I should say, he argued that it consists of minor improvements and adjustments that do not change the system's cores, that is, your beliefs, your attitudes, and and, and so on and so forth, but they occur as the system naturally grows and develops. Basically, Mike and Andrew, making small and moderate changes which are unlikely to result in deeper changes in attitudes or beliefs. So, what would be one incremental change that you have experienced in your teaching, perhaps over the last 12 months or over the last decade, since we're in the conversation <laughs> about decades. I mean, a decade is an easy answer. You know, I, I started teaching almost exactly 10 years ago. So going from a newbie and learning how to teach and learning how languages are learned to, to today, is it's night and day. It's not even not even... Similar, you know, I, I worked at a school similar to where Mike worked at Berlitz, where it was very top down. It was a business English school, and basically everything was prescribed. And I worked there for a few years, and and to be honest, you know, I, I left that school not really knowing how to teach. I, I learned how to follow along and how to go through the lessons that they had prescribed. But when I came back, yeah, well, I mean, kind of. I was, I think, I learned to be really good at that. But when I, I remember when I came back to Canada and I started working for schools where thank God, I mean, they gave you freedom to, to teach. I really struggled in my lesson development because I didn't, I didn't, I never had to do it. I didn't know how to do it. So that's the, you know, for me, the, the biggest change over the decade. So what was that, what was that incremental change, that little small change? For me, it's, it's tech outside the classroom and advising students how to use technology uh, for their own benefit when they're not in the classroom. So not necessarily using it for instructional like purposes. Yeah, and, and purposeful, right? Because it's, it's easy to say, oh, you should watch movies on Netflix, but that's not really helpful. So right. what technology can they utilize on their own time, on the bus, on the subway, mm-hmm. on the phone, whatever, to actually help them learn and, and accelerate that process meaningfully and purposefully? Right. Mike, what was one small incremental change that you experienced in the last maybe 12 months or a decade? Oh, man, that's tough. Uh, I think, 
I don't know. I, I just try to listen to my students a little more. Mm. I think like if we're not really talking about teaching philosophy, um, just trying to be a, a, a human first. Right. And uh, and go from there. Like I said, like when I first started off and, and maybe it was just the, the structure of the mm-hmm. company that I was working for or just me just wanting to be the, the leader in the classroom, um, it tended to kind of not really build that rapport first. And I think, mm-hmm. I don't know when, I think it was more or less, I think it's actually when I came back to Canada because I had such a great time in, in Asia of, of actually having people take care of me, right? Like having um, the locals there take really good care of me and, and teach me a lot about Korea or Japan or China, or wherever I was. And I think when I came back to Canada, I kind of felt I was then mm-hmm. now responsible for providing that same type of experience, right? Mm-hmm. And I had kind of took on this more kind of pastoral role. And, and I think, <laughs> I, no, but you know that's, what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, no, it's, I... it's just, it's, um, and it's not related to teaching, but I think it just made me kind of become a human first, a teacher second mm-hmm. in the classroom, right? And, and, and just like the students are that's people great. first and students second. They're people? They are. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I would say my my incremental change is similar to yours. Mine is similar to yours, Mike, and I would argue that this is basically attention to affect in language learning. That's mm. what I would call it. Oh, uh, I think Jane Arnold has written extensively about that. I would say it has been an incremental change over the last maybe five years for me. Same, Mike. Um, basically, paying more attention to aspects of of emotion in the classroom, their feelings their mood, their attitude, because all these things, they condition behavior. And understanding how all of this fits into the language classroom, I think it's it's vital because a lot of the times we don't understand the kinds of issues, the kinds of emotions that our students are, are dealing with in the classroom. And I think what triggered that, this idea of emotional intelligence in the classroom, was a movie, a Dis- I don't know if it was a Disney movie or a mm. Pixar movie, about emotions. Do you remember that movie? You know what movie I'm talking about? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Emotions. Yeah, yeah. Right. What was that uh, movie this called? Is, this, Emotion, is, this is Misery. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. Feelings? What feelings? What? Um, no. oh, what was it called? Inside yeah. Out. Inside, Inside out. out. The movie yeah. Inside Out talks about feelings. I'm working with that with my son as well. I have and, no idea what you're talking about, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, you should watch it, Andrew. It's a great movie. Yeah? Um, yeah, it's a great movie. And I want to go back to the point that you said, Michael, and Moving when we think about success in, in, in the classroom, I think we again I'm I'm going to go back to uh, Earl Stevick here, who said that success in learning a language, uh, I think we should rely less on materials, less on PowerPoint, less on techniques, handouts, all these linguistic analysis, and focus more on what goes on inside the classroom and between the people in the classroom. Right, I like the that. inside and between is basically what effect is all about, right. Yeah, I mean, this. what I'm going to say goes with adult learners, but sometimes mm-hmm. we forget that they are really intelligent professionals in whatever field that they're in. They have the knowledge in area X. They just need the language to be able to perform various tasks, right? I mean, for me, they're all basically all smarter than what I am. They're all engineers and doctors and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I learn... Obviously, it's cliche, but we you know learn just as much from them as they, they do from us, and we don't need to teach them about global warming or whatever. They know that, right? They need language to be able to perform task X, Y, 
and Z or Z. So I think for me, that's also a change that's happened um, Good. in the last few years as well. Yeah. Good. Let's go to the second type of change. This is what uh, Kennedy and Edwards um, coined continuous change. And this one falls in the middle of the decline of change. And this one refers to an ongoing effort to be constantly monitoring the external environment and adapting to the changes it presents. So this is more like, I would say more top down, Andrew. Okay. Whereas the incremental change involves doing things better, continuous change entails doing things in a different way. So as a result, this type of change, I would say it's more likely to result in, in shifts in your behavior as well as, as, well as your, your beliefs. For right. example, I, I think one of the changes that one of the continuous changes that I have um, gone through is this um, challenging the assumption that um, the teacher is the know-it-all in the classroom. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mike, you have a lot of experience with this. We've talked about this, this idea of removing the ego from the classroom, right? Constantly challenging this assumption that, oh, oh because I'm a native speaker, I know the answer. Or because I'm a teacher, I know the answer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well. First of all, as you guys both know, I know nothing. Um, so, uh, but this this whole kind of again, it's this uh, Socrates. It's this role, this role that 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 is tempting to play in the classroom, right? Like, um, I I am the holder of the knowledge, and you, I'm going to give it to you. Yes, and um, you will be there to receive my knowledge, and then you'll be better off for the it. The sage um, on the stage. Mm. Ooh, Isn't it lovely. interesting when I don't know if this happens to you? It happens to me all the time when I get asked a question and and I I just say I don't know, and everyone looks at me like I've got nine heads. What do you mean you don't know? Like they're like waiting for me to make something up or something. Like I don't know. I'll I'll get back to you on that. I don't know the answer mm-hmm. to that. Or when you know you come across a word and I always throw it in like oh. I don't know that word either. Never heard that word before. And they look at me with the same expression. Like, you don't know all the words? Like, yeah. obviously not. Yeah. Like, yeah. of course not. Yeah. So it's it's very fascinating, I think. Yeah. And I think, but I think there's also this balance. Because I think as a, as a teacher, Leo, I, I, and, I, and I, I think that you're trying to kind of find a happy medium here. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've, we've definitely come across um, teachers in our lives where perhaps they, they don't know, but they should know. So, for mm. example, like mm. when it comes actual time to explain a language point or to explain a rule that um, might help clarify things for the, the student, there are instances where you do want to play that role of the expert and, and you really should have mm. the chops to kind of to be there for your students and be accountable to you and the profession. Um, but I think what Andrew, Andrew, are you approaching it more from a human point of view, though, right? Like mm. we, there is no such thing as a pure native speaker actually that's that's yeah. a given no one's 100 percent proficient in in any language right right well like because uh, it's changing all the time a yeah. common question like i mean I, I teach a pretty advanced level but usually they'll ask me hey andrew what are five common collocations with this word off the top of your head right I'm like well <laughs> i can think of some but let's look it up and let's make sure that we're right and let's go through it and that yeah. the first right. one that usually throws them off but then i say well first of all you know, we can, we can definitely guess at that, but let's make sure we know. And two, you shouldn't be in the habit of having to ask that question because there are reasons, and this is where the tech comes back into play maybe, mm-hmm. there are resources available where you don't need to ask that question and let's walk through the process of how you can get those answers yourself. And that's quite interesting because, Leo, you were talking about earlier, that's what's missing in, in many classrooms is the how, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what Andrew just said is a very good example of, of, of an incremental change, which is 
the adoption of technology in the classroom. Maybe to clarify, what's the most important? What is the most the top five collocates with these words? What is this word? Or how does is this a common way of saying certain things? You know, that's an example of incremental change and the continuous change. Again, is this idea of identifying? Well, I'm not the no the I, I don't possess all the knowledge in the world. Examining, well. Do I really know the answer to this? And then if needed, challenging the assumptions that underlie pretty much all these, I would say, day-to-day -day decisions that we make in the classroom. And according to, I think it was, um, what's his name? Altucher, who said that we make, mm. we have about 60,000 thoughts in a day and we make about 50,000 decisions. So I, I don't I don't know how many decisions we make in the classroom. That's why I'm we're so sure tired. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 But I think that's this kind of change, especially the continuous change for all of us, this idea of removing the ego, not being mm -hmm. the sage on the stage and becoming more of like the wise on the side, right? It, <laughs> I think this type of change is advantageous because as teachers, as educators, we're constantly growing, making mistakes, making conscious changes in our routine and in activities. As a response, we're responding to the environment. We're responding to the learners. We're not just saying, I'm going to do it this way because this is the way I think it works. And I think the problem that I have with a lot of people in, in this field is that they feel like going to the classroom is just repeating and regurgitating the same content over and over again. What's, and what's the same lesson uh, for 20 years? The right? same lesson for 20 years. And one more thing, it's and it goes back to something that we said, this idea of accountability, right? Um, it's something that uh, Kennedy and Edwards called dislocation, this discrepancy between what you were doing in practice and what you actually believed in. Right? Practice what you right. preach. Practice what you preach, which goes back to our first episode. So we're kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have to we're be careful. Gonna, yeah, yeah, we're not going to go back there. But it's good that it's like we're going back full circle here. What's and the, the, what's the adage though? When, when Unintentionally. That old it's adage about you can't uh, walk through the same river twice, right? Yes. Either yes. you've changed or the river has. I mean, you can't teach the same lesson twice, right? I said that too. Yeah. yeah. So the lesson yeah. planning applies as well, right? You don't teach the same class, the same lesson twice because yeah. presumably the students have changed mm -hmm. and hopefully you have as well. I think Bruce Lee had a very similar quote, Andrew. This whole, I think, remember that uh, dogma? Um, yeah. He said, that, remember there was a quote about Bruce Lee that Bruce Lee basically said that a good teacher is not one that is fixed in a routine and mm -hmm. every day he's constantly adapting and changing to the environment. That's I right. think that's what we need to that's do good. as teachers. It's like you can't go to the classroom with a lesson plan because things might change. The needs of the students might vary. They might have different, the conversation might be veering off in a different direction and you kind of have to adapt to those things, right? Right. Anyway, Bruce the Lee last was type wise. of change, what is it? Bruce Lee was wise. Bruce Lee was a wise oh, yeah. man. Yes. Wise man. Um, He's in, uh, have you seen that movie? Um, we'll talk about movies upon, in a second. Uh, okay, okay. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're yeah, coming he's back in, there. We're yeah, coming okay. back to the movies. Don't worry. Third, <laughs> third part. Third part of the podcast. So the last type of change is discontinuous change, which is the one that sits at the extreme end of decline. It's, uh, some people call it the revolutionary change. Um, it involves basically uh, a radical break with former practices and behaviors. So it's basically a completely different mindset, a completely different way of doing things. And it can be very disorienting for everyone. <laughs> no. Uh, Levi actually calls this second- I thought we weren't talking about our personal life, Jesus. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it can also be, it involves a, it basically involves a process of learning new information. Right. And this process of transformation from a previous state 
to a new state. Um, mm. Like basically, you know, behaving differently or experiencing things differently. Perhaps, for example, Andrew, for you would be a shift in your theory of language from uh, a synthetic syllabi perspective to uh, an analytic one, yeah. right? Yeah. As the mm -hmm. language. Like for me, I think that would be the base, the biggest discontinuous change for me is when I mm. started teaching, I was under the impression mm. that grammar was at the forefront of language learning. Same. Students needed to learn grammar in order to learn a language. But within the last maybe, I think within maybe 10 years of teaching, I realized that I had to change something. So it has to move to a more interaction one where language is acquired through interaction. And as Mike, we always talk about this, this idea of the role that social relations play in in um, language acquisition. So what about you two guys? Just continuous change, radical changes in your... I, mean, I think that, that just sounds like change is synonymous with learning, with mm. with knowledge, yeah. gain, uh, gains of knowledge, right? Because mm -hmm. I think we agree there are times where a synthetic syllabus or parts of one uh, are beneficial. So when we learn about analytical syllabi and, and, and their benefits, and I think that's just getting more information and when and where either one could be applicable and then utilizing that in your profession. So I think for me, in this case, it seems like if I'm understanding it properly, change for me, how I see this is just learning about these yeah. topics and, and, and being, having more tools in the tool belt. Yeah. But it, it yeah. resulted, but it resulted in a new state of being. In this case, thinking and acting, because in a way, it, it it's not that you don't teach grammar, but you you know the role that grammar plays now, right. and you know exactly where to teach grammar, mm -hmm. right? Mike. Correct. Yes. Yeah, I, I think no. I, I'm just going to echo what both of you have said. Just um, I, I think that I, I kind of five years ago I was I was all over discourse analysis mm -hmm. and you know this kind of focus on patterns in language. And the more I think about it, and the more I get involved with task-based language teaching, the more I kind of find, I, I know that I need to strike this balance between this kind of um, prescribed or, or, or formulaic language and patterns with also the basic interpersonal communicative skills mm -hmm. or the, you know, the BICs that we were talking about earlier of, uh, and, and how to kind of blend those together so that EAP is not necessarily just the teaching of academic language, but also um, this functional language, which allows uh, students yeah. to survive. And if you don't know by now, folks, that I'm really into EAP and, and um, this is kind of my passion in teaching. And But but the more I teach EAP, the more I realize that it's, it's this kind of interpersonal mm -hmm. and uh, social emotional aspect that that actually is is perhaps even missing from from most EAP classrooms, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. and I think that that that's been my biggest shift is is teaching both the discourse with the actual culture of the language, and um, mm -hmm. and again backwards design right. What yeah. what are the goals that these students have? It's not just to get grades; they want to also socialize and make friends, so they can um, become better human beings, right? Mm -hmm. No, this is great. This well. I was just thinking about what Andrew said. So it's, I think when we look at second order change, or in this case, uh, discontinuous change, it's basically what you have is you have very, like a bunch of examples of continuous change with the new ideas that you have being integrated into this existing paradigm. And then you're kind of shaping what you know, because 
we all know this. We don't know what we don't know, right? And so, I think that's why it's difficult to see change in a, in a short period of time. I think that's why yeah. we need to reflect on years, one, two, three, five, ten years to see it. Because if you look at what I was doing in the classroom three years ago versus now, it's drastically different. But if I look at yes. a week ago Tuesday, it's mm-hmm. very, very, you have to really look carefully to see it, yes. minor changes, right? But if you're learning every day, 1%, you know, yes. all teachers says, right? 1% every day improvement, yes. Yes. 1% over 500 days would be a lot. But 1% yes. over three days is not. So it's yeah. harder to see in, in a short time period. So the question I'm going to ask now is to our listeners, what kinds of changes have you experienced in your teaching over the last decade, over the last 12 months? Think about incremental changes. Again, smaller changes, maybe doing the same thing, but doing it better. For example, board work is a good example of this. <laughs> My board work hasn't improved. I have to. That's something I want to work on. 2012, but 2020, Man. sorry. And My writing Google is Docs, terrible. they give me a headache, man. Which Google Doc? Oh, the mo- oh, endless Google Docs. That oh, yeah. Go I know they keep. But the students love them, and that's all that matters. Yeah. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, uh, the second one, continuous changes. What kind of continuous changes have you, have you um, experienced? Again, continuous changes referring to um, doing things in a completely different way. Okay. Um, so, for example, for us would be. Um, an example of doing things in a completely different way is the way we treat our students in the classroom. And the third type for you listeners, um, just think about a discontinuous change. How have you evolved as a teacher? Um, what, what has changed as your theory of language, your theory of, of learning um, shifted from perhaps a more structural perspective to a more analytical? So these are all questions that you can actually use to reflect on um, for the next couple of days as you listen to this podcast. We're going to take a short break before we move on to the second part of this podcast. Hello, friends. This episode of Teacher Talking Time is brought to you by English Central. English Central is by far one of the best source for textbooks and resources in ELT. I don't know about you, but I've been going there for about 15 years. And whether you're an institution or instructor, they have a great selection for you from business to general to academic English and even test prep. So if you're a teacher looking to develop, they have tons of great PD books as well, including two friends of ours who have been on this podcast, Mr. Marek Kikoviak with Teaching English as a Lingua Franca, and Neil McCutcheon, who released Activities for Task-Based Learning. Check out the English Central online at englishcentral.net, or if you're in Toronto, they're right at Young and St. Clair Avenue. Talk to Nicole. She'll be more than happy to chat with you. Now, let's go back to the show. Hey out there, I'm Rocio from El Salvador. This is Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. So, we're back to the second segment of the podcast. Uh, we've talked about changes in the, first, um, in the first part of the podcast. Now we're going to be talking a little bit about reflecting on things that worked or didn't work well in our classroom, as well as perhaps um, resolutions. We'll talk about, but we're going to look at resolutions no, from, no, a no, 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 no. from a different perspective. So, um, quickly, one thing that worked for you in the classroom this year or one thing that didn't work really well in the classroom for you this year 
I'm going to go first. You want to go first? I want to go first. All right. You don't have to talk about both. You can choose one. No, no. Just just something that worked well. You guys know about this one. Those of you who know me know me well. You both know me well. Puns in the classroom. What do you mean? What do I mean? I knew you were going to say that. Dude. Using puns in the classroom. Right. has, me, has worked wonders for me. So just to, just to give you a background backstory. Uh, so and, and Leo, actually, I have to say, you you inspired me with your dad jokes. Right. But um, Can I tell you a dad but, joke before we start, though? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I came up with this one yesterday. I was with my son, Danny, and we were just, I was teaching him how to come up with puns. Because he's like, how do you come up with puns? I said, it's just have to pay attention to the words. So we were talking about um, how I taught meditation to a wolf, and now he's a werewolf. Uh, that's a howler. Yeah. Is so, that a, uh, is yeah, that exactly, a, a right? mic drop on a podcast? Is that a- Whoa. <laughs> oh, how can I follow that up? Uh, so, anyway. so, yeah, yeah. So just taking puns uh, and bringing them in the classroom. What I try to do with, with my classes is I um, – so luckily I've, I've, my classes are quite multicultural. So mm. I try to get like a word of the day from one of the languages in the class – and just to give an example, so we have, I think most of us actually teach a lot of Mandarin students, but but one uh, one pun that I could take or tell using a, using some Mandarin would be uh, the word for water is shui. So, um, you know, what does a river say when it forks? Well, it asks, mm-hmm. which shui? Which shui should I go, right? So, so and again, like these kind of, you know, these little things. And actually, it was great at the at the at the end of not even at the end of the class. I think it was coming around to December. One of my students came up to me, a female student, and she said, uh, "Mike, um, how do you how do you um, tell if a snowman's a man or a woman?" I said, "I don't, I don't know." And I'll let you use your imaginations with that one. But essentially, they have snowballs. Um, would you do that? <coughs> <laughs> was was the the punchline but again it just kind of it's something that the students really like they, they mm. embrace it and it's uh let me and, ask you, and again it builds that rapport right i was going to ask you like why does it work <clears throat> yeah it, it yeah it works and it's so funny because no, but why why does it oh, work oh why? well it, it makes me the victim right because mm. they're dry so they 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 ridicule them also i think you know it's it's a nice way of showing that humor is Humor can go across cultures mm-hmm. because it's actually interesting. Dry jokes exist in pretty much every culture, right? Yes. And definitely the cultures that we have encountered in our classrooms. And um, I, I think it, it, it goes, uh, you know, it goes a long way to kind of encouraging them to just relax and have fun. Um, and again, I, I'm not the, I don't know everything. I'm, I'm just there for, along for the ride with them. I was going to say, Mike, I think this is a, like you said, I think you use this at the beginning of the class, right? Like as a way oh, to, always, yeah. to gain the attention of the students, establish, uh, like you said, establishing a relaxed atmosphere, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. This is good. Yeah, and it's um, it's also good for building a, a kind of community within the classroom because, um, especially if you have classes where one culture, one language might dominate. So in Canada, folks, for those of you who are listening from outside of Canada, we have a lot of students that come from mainland China, mm-hmm. and so it's not uncommon to have like the majority of the class be um, speakers of Mandarin and you might have say like a pocket of, of some other cultures scattered throughout the classroom and and um, in my my class that I just taught at, at UBC we had 
um, the majority of Mandarin speakers, but we also had some, we had a Hindi speaker and we mm -hmm. had a Vietnamese student and, and an Indonesian student. So we would just choose one word and then from say Vietnamese, and then I would task the rest of the class to kind of try and come up with a pun using that word, um, that Vietnamese word. And it really kind of brought the cultures together and, and, uh, and, and from your discourse, from your discourse analysis point of view, I think you could, one could say that a lot of puns, they have very, they have a wide range of very specific patterns. Some of them is like, what do you call a, right? Mm -hmm. So there are certain patterns and the students can actually recreate those patterns when, when designing yeah. their own puns. And I think one more thing I was thinking as, cause I've never thought about puns in the classroom. I just like telling dad jokes all the time. Um, but I think it's the, it's this idea of this injection of personality, this projection of personality in the classroom that students most of the time don't seem to see the personality of the teacher in the classroom because the teacher is there to just teach the lesson. And, I and think vice versa. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We, I think we tend to forget that or oversee that aspect of. Is it of vice language. versa or vice versa? Good question. <laughs> Yeah. Good question. <laughs> I hear both. I don't know. Niche, niche and niche. I hear both of, of those as well. There we go. That's one for the audience. I hear Nietzsche all the time too. Anyway, and no, Nietzsche is different. Frederick, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Andrew, what about, Andrew, yeah. Uh, what about you? One, uh, one thing that worked well for you this okay. year in the classroom or something that didn't work really well? Yeah, I mean, I think my answer also is about building rapport and just being a mm. human you know, letting them know you're a person and, and allowing their personalities to kind of come out as well. And I've, I've talked about this with you guys before, but I've, I've started or I do, I've done this pretty much for a while. Um, the first, you know, 10 minutes or so of every class, I just, just go around the room and, and we, we talk as a class. And the question's always the same. And at first they're like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you asking me this for? And then eventually it becomes a running joke and they have to say something. So I said, you know, tell me something interesting. And I just stare at them. And until they tell me something like, well, I didn't, there's nothing interesting. I said, it's impossible. You have to have something, you know, what'd you do yesterday? I didn't do any, well, you know, the whatever. It's impossible to do nothing type of thing. And then I just asked them one or two follow-up questions on whatever they say. Oh, I, I had dinner. Oh, what'd you have for dinner? You know, and eventually, you know, you'll get some information. And if you pay attention, eventually you'll get some running jokes throughout the session. And other students will learn about others as well. It's kind of like a everyday yeah. type of icebreaker type of thing. And it's, one piece of feedback that at the end of every course I've taught this year, every class, at least two or three students will pull me aside and say, I really appreciate that you do that um, because it humanizes it and it just lets us yeah. know you. It lets us, you know, you know us and it lets students know each other. And it's just something that as students are coming in and, you know, they're late or whatever, it's something that has become really effective for me. And it's just conversation and it's practice oh. and it's using the language and you can ask follow up questions. And then sometimes they'll say something and then two days later, I'll, you know, you'll remember and you ask them about it. And, and these are really interesting people and they, they're doing things. And even if they're not doing anything that's extravagant, you know, it's sometimes a skill to talk about the mundane as well. So yeah. uh, that's so Andrew, really effective. So, so Andrew, you're, you're saying that you don't, you don't single them out? And tell them that they're losing points for being late when they ask them. <laughs> I single them out when I say, "Hey, tell me something interesting." But they, <laughs> it's an amazing, yeah. It's, they get, well, but it, they get how, used how well to that it. works, and well. it puts them on the spot because that's not something that people usually, you know, say to other people. And then eventually they right. get used. They get used to it after one or two days of it. But yeah. uh, sometimes they'll prepare an answer coming in, and that's fine. But 
you know, it's just a little bit of practice. And then, you know, if you have an energetic class, they'll jump in and kind of talk with each other about it. And and then with the TBLT philosophy, you know, you can, sometimes I've used some of those answers as a jumpstart to, you know, going into a lesson for the day. So it has lots of, lots of different aspects to it. Right. Um, this is actually turning into a humanistic podcast um, because <laughs> we're going back to this whole idea of effect, right? What you're saying, Andrew, is basically that, right? Like basically paying attention more to what goes on inside and between the people in the classroom. What's that? The TED Talk, the the Rita Pearson TED Talk, right? She says, it's about kids, but she says, and this always resonates with me. She says, kids don't learn from people they don't like. Yes. Yeah. 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 So this is why positive effect provides uh, invaluable support for, for language learning. Just as negative effect can close down the mind, prevent learning from occurring altogether. And again, I don't want to come back to to crashing, but that's basically what the effective filter is all about, right? Crash and learning. burn. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Crash and burn. Like you, you cannot like you said, Andrew. There it you is. Andrew. Learn, you cannot learn from someone you don't like. If you don't like that person, if you don't seem to if it like learning from a negative perspective is just something that doesn't really happen. So you have to find ways to establish a positive um, effect in the class. I think we have to make For that me. effort, but we don't, students don't have to like me. Like it's not, that's not, I don't think it's a requisite, well, but I think you have to make an atmosphere that learning can occur. And I think yes. being open yeah. and empathetic yeah. and apathetic are conditions to producing that type of atmosphere. You don't have to be best buddies, but you yeah. have to, you have to respect each other at least in, in that sense. That's it. For me, I, I thought long and hard about this. I'm going to go with not grading. Something that worked well for me as well. Mm. Not something that didn't work well because a lot of things didn't work yeah, well. Yeah, it sounds true. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. But uh, don't grade what you didn't teach. That would be mine. Mm. That's a good one. So That's just a good not, one. Yeah, it goes back to not the like, yeah. Yes, going back to like, you know, just not gleefully red penning stuff. This is something that they should know. You use you a know? red pen? Yeah, no, I don't use a red pen. I actually use whatever pen I have available. <laughs> but like, you know, think, we always have this assumption. Should, students should already know this. If I haven't taught my students uh, run-on sentences, I'm not going to be grading them on that. Right. I'm grading them on what I have actually taught them. So a good example of this would be the pattern of point example explanation. You know, if I taught them a complex sentence and I expected them to start with a subordinating conjunction and I expect to see that comma. That's all I'm grading them on. So not grading what I didn't teach has not only made my marking much easier, but it actually has improved the learning of what I have actually taught in the classroom. That's a good one. That goes back to what yeah, Paul, Paula Winky was talking about as well, yeah. where an issue, a big, a big issue with proficiency is that tests do not test what is actually being learned in the class. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so how can we, so that would be one thing we could all do, right? Yeah. Perhaps assess based on what you teach. Okay. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come to, uh, we're going to join, uh, actually, no, we're not going to be joining anyone, but I have a surprise. (laughs) Where are we going soon? We're not going, Oh, I'm going somewhere. It's, uh, it's almost time for me to, uh, have my, my, my burger. You know, I've been craving a burger for a long time, but aren't you a vegetarian? I'm not a vegetarian. (laughs) I was going to say something else, but I (laughs) because the podcast does not allow me to to say things like this but stay tuned we have uh the third segment coming up it's going to be lots of fun
Hi everyone, Andrew here. This episode was created with support from LSI Toronto, a state-of-the-art language school located in beautiful downtown Toronto, Canada. For more resources on today's topic, please see our website for show notes, links, and much more. Go to learnyourenglish.com slash podcast. Also, don't forget to connect with us online. We want to hear your thoughts on today's show and other topics you'd like us to cover. Connect with us on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Or shoot us an email, info at learnyourenglish.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes. Believe us, it goes a long way. We also have a tip jar on Patreon for those looking to contribute to the creation of the podcast and help extend our community. The link to that and all online media is in the show notes and also on our website. Teacher Talking Time is a podcast for teachers, by teachers, as we need to support each other more in our industry. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. Konnichiwa, Yuki desu. Learn your English podcast, Teacher Talking Time, o kiki kudasai. Hi, this is Yuki from Japan. You are listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Welcome back to our last segment, the last part of this podcast. And I'm here with Mike and Andrew and myself, Leo. And I have a mixed bag of questions here for all of you as we head into 2020. One simple question to reflect on is whether the things you are doing right now will get you where you want to go. So, Over the last 10 years, I want you to think about this. What, it's, a, it's a rapid fire, by the way. You cannot think too much about this. Oh, my gosh. Over the last 10 years, <laughs> what has become more important to you and what has become less important to you? Time. Why? Because... More important or less important? No, way. more important. More, more important. Because we're running out of it. Oh, I'm running out of it. I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're the youngest one here. I know. But yeah. Oh gosh. I think, that should have been my answer. I just think I value it more um, in the sense that I, I want to be more productive and I want to do things that I actually want to do. And I think time and, and money、uh, for me, that doing, using my time to do things that I enjoy doing that might not actually produce any income because I don't think I've, I've learned that that's, they're not, they are mutually exclusive for me. So, I, my goal for going forward is to try and find time to do hobbies and, and things that I like. I want to do some more writing, do some more reading, do some more podcasting, do some more things that I have interest in that I really enjoy doing、um, outside of,、okay. of quote unquote work. And knowing that I don't have to, to earn money just you know, doing things that I do. Yeah. Mike, something that has become more important to you or something that has become less important to you?、Uh, waiting. All right.、Mm. Care to elaborate? An acronym. It's an acronym. <laughs> okay. okay. Bear with okay. me here. Okay. Bear with me. Okay. The acronym WAIT. Okay. You、Give、thought of this. You've prepared、minutes. this answer. No, 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 no. How'd you come up with that in three seconds? He's asking you to wait. That's the. <laughs> so this is, this is, that's right. This is from, I have to give credit. This is from、uh, my supervisor, Dr. Scott Douglas at UBC.、Mm-hmm. Um, very crucial question I, I've started asking myself wait, why am I talking? Oh. 
and it's all about just trying to be a better listener. Mm. Oh, I like that. I like to revise my answer. That's it. No, no, Andrew, your answer is great. Like I think, I think that's it. I think if I had a if I had a second answer, <laughs> yours would be that would be my second answer. I like. That I think that's that's something we're all that's something we all struggle with is is mm-hmm. finding that balance between hobbies and um, and paying the bills. And I think uh, I think that's a that's a big one. And I'm sure mm-hmm. the audience will respond. But for me, it's I'm not doing a very good job of it right now. It's just knowing that I can shut up and mm-hmm. let other people speak and listen. I think it was Seneca who said that we have two years so we can actually listen more than we can speak because we only have one mouth. But yeah, mm. uh, I like this, Mike. That's I like good. this that's acronym. Mm. That's, mm. that's, that's mm. a gem right there. That's a perfect mm. one. Yeah, uh, full Scott credit Douglas. to my supervisor. But uh, yeah. Mm. Okay. For me, it would be trying to be less wrong is better than trying to be right. So that's something that has become... Um, mm. Because when when you focus, because I was thinking, because most of the time we have, it goes back to the confirmation bias, right? We always want to think that we are right. But if I try to be less wrong, when, when I focus, at least when I focus on, on being less wrong, I'm able to see a lot of the blind spots in my own um, rationale, my own thinking, my own arguments. And the beliefs no longer need to be protected because a lot of the times we want to be right because that assertion that we we have made is connected to our internal beliefs. So by, by becoming, by trying to be less wrong, I've become open to better ideas. I don't marry an idea. And I think this is something that I read in one of the emails that you sent Andrew about the 45 mistakes that entrepreneurs mm-hmm. make. When I read that, I was like, Oh, this is exactly what I was thinking about is this idea of becoming more open to better ideas. And by doing that, I'm outcoming, uh, sorry, I'm I'm overcoming my own ego because the ego wants to be right all the time. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that goes back to what you said, Mike, with the weight. I think the the ego also likes to speak because when you speak, you're speaking because you think you're always right. Feedback too, and, I would throw into that. You're getting feedback, getting constructive feedback, being open to feedback, and not yeah. being insecure about criticism. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question: What is the best film you watched this year? Oh, oh man! I have oh, to think about that one. now. Yeah. Oh, because I don't want to say I don't want to say the wrong thing. Bohemian <laughs> no, Rhapsody no wasn't thing is wrong thing. Bohemian I have Rhapsody to say, wasn't I'm pretty year. psyched. I mean, the trailer for Top Gun had me sweating. Oof. I mean, I'm pretty excited to see the. New but that's Top that's Gun. a movie that is coming. But that's coming. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Any Bohemian oh, Rhapsody Andrew, was last oh, Andrew, year. You've probably seen more movies than I, I watched. Have, um, so. I watched the Green Book. That was really good. Uh, okay. Rocket Man was good. The Irishman I liked a lot. I haven't seen The Irishman. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Uh, yeah. You have to take a day it's off work to watch it, but it's yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen two good movies this year. One was Knives Out, which I highly recommend. Ooh, I've oh, seen that too. That was okay. good. A really oh. good movie. Um, I also watched My Marriage Story okay. on Netflix, which I thought it was actually quite good. Especially if you're married or if you're going through a divorce, I think that movie will resonate with you. <laughs> and another good movie that I watched is a Korean movie, which I also would highly recommend. It's called Parasite. Interesting. And it was disturbing towards the end. So those are the three movies for me. Mike, come on, give us something. Oh, I don't know. Um, 
Oh, man, I don't have time to watch movies. <laughs> just watch my PhD, just, man. Just give us I, one. I, no, seriously, I'm going back to the spring. Can I just say, maybe not movies. Oh. Like Andrew mentioned Netflix. So so I really like Agretsuko on Netflix. It's a okay. Japanese anime about, a, I guess, a angry red panda who, whose therapy way of dealing with, um, with her troubles at work uh, is uh, going to a karaoke box and, um, and singing death metal. Mm. Um, I, I think it's it's pretty awesome. Um, also, okay. um, in my uh, in my studies, actually, I watched a um, a really cool documentary that was recommended to me, and it's called um, "Children Full of Life." You can get it on YouTube. What is it? And called I just again? think it, okay. it it's uh, it's on YouTube. It's a it's a documentary about the Children? Japanese What's the teacher. Again? Children full of life. Okay, and I think it actually. Kind of because what you were talking about earlier, Leo, and what we mm. th- that you mentioned that this this theme is kind of dealing with this kind of social emotional kind of development, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what this is about. It's about a teacher in Japan, and for those of you who have lived in Japan or know Japan, it can seem quite cold and very kind of organized. And the way this teacher teaches in his classroom is is quite counter to that, and focuses on humans first. And uh, so yeah, so Japanese theme with mine. Um, Agretsuko on Netflix and Children Full of Life. All right. A little documentary. It'll make you cry. All right. We all have a list of movies to watch in 2020. Oh, and uh, Joker. Oh, Joker was oh, Joker was oh, really good. Oh, I'm that guy who hasn't seen I Joker. I like that. I like that movie. It was it's definitely, a, yeah, Andrew, thanks for the reminder. Joker was a good movie. It's too. dark, but it's good. Knives Out was incredible. I've never felt so entertaining yeah, so in my life watching that? a movie. I'm not going to tell you. Just, just. Okay. No one, you should not even watch the trailer. Just walk in completely Yeah, don't blind. watch the trailer. It's, it was well, funny, but also really well done. That's what I was You've thinking, seen it? right? It's, well, no, the, yeah, I've seen oh, it. Oh, you have. Oh, it's like cool. You have? Wow. Yeah. Oh, man, it's I, such a good I, movie. I gotta get out more, great. It was a great movie. Daniel Craig uh, okay. is an r- amazing actor. He's so right? versatile. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Okay, anyway. two more questions. Okay. What What is one person on Twitter... Or in real life that you have met this year or that you have discovered that you learned the most from? Mm. I'll go first on this one. Okay. Um, at UBCO uh, here in, in the Okanagan Valley, I've uh, had the pleasure of studying with Dr. Uh, John Tyler Binfit, who um, done a lot of work with therapy dogs. And he's um, he taught me during my um, quantitative uh, quantitative research for education, educational research. I think I butchered the name of that class, but anyways, great <laughs> class on quantitative analysis, okay. quantitative research skills, fantastic um, human being, fantastic professor. Um, he's done a lot of work on kindness in the classroom. Oh, uh, and I think for I like anyone it. interested in learning more about the kind of social I, emotional aspect of teaching, um, I foresee a book up some of his. Yeah, look into some of his work. He's uh, no, I think you should a lot do a podcast with him. Mostly, mostly with children, but okay. um, but still, we all still, children. Yeah. We're all children, yeah. Mike. All yeah, children. that's true. We're just grown up children. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, one person on Twitter, or even in real life, that even in met. real life, what's real life? Um, I know it's I, just fantasy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Freddie. That was the best movie of the last two years, but that wasn't this year technically. So, um, I guess 
two, but they know it from from. I do follow them on Twitter, but it's not from Twitter. So James Altucher and his podcast. I think it was this year I started listening to it based on your recommendation, and he's fantastic. Um, and then Naval from the Joe Rogan podcast as well. Oh, yes. But I follow him. On, I didn't discover him from Twitter, but from the podcast. But he's very insightful, and and I and I learned a lot from him listening to his talks. Um, not so his, he tweets, you know, somewhat infrequently, but. Um, so I guess those are those are my two answers. I'll try and think of another one as as you give yours, Leo. Yeah, uh, no, for me it would be Naval. Yeah, Naval Ravikant. Mm-hmm. You can follow him at Naval on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, he's good. And yeah, he said something about like the right book for the right person is not enough. It needs to be the right book for the right person at the right time. Oof. And that mm. stuck with Ooh. me for a long time. And I was like, oh man, this guy. Like you said, Andrew, it's like a, it's a, it's many mic drop moments throughout. Uh, podcasts or even just listening to the guy speak or even reading his his blog that would be one person uh the second person for me would be john vervaki who is a professor at the university of toronto in the cogsite department he's i learned a lot he's actually helped me uh further my knowledge of philosophy especially because he designed he created this uh series called the meaning crisis series on youtube which i have been devouring more than i should have because i have other things that i have to focus on but (laughs) Yeah, definitely a guy, John Vervaki. And the third person would be this person I met in person because I had read her papers in the past, um, TBLT related. That would be uh, Mariah. That's right. We met her at the TBLT conference in Ottawa. And uh, I've learned a lot from her. She's shared a lot of resources with me. Um, And I know she had said this. She's willing to uh, join us in the future to help us with our TBLT courses in the near future so yeah those are the three people wonderful for me nice. all right one last question the last question of the decade i would say but what is the lesson or lessons that you will take from 2019 to 2020 one lesson or maybe two lessons three lessons let's try to keep it short um andrew I think, and this is not anything profound, but I, I've always reminded, because I've just taken some time off from the institute where Leo, you and I teach and where Mike used to teach. And I think every time I take a little break, I get reminded or, or I get a better view of the forest, so to speak, and, and not just looking at each individual trees, <laughs> you know, when you're in the trenches and going and teaching so many hours a week and all the marking and all the things that come along with it. So I think... Breaks obviously are important, but also just being continuously able to look and view the forest and what you want for you, or what I want for myself and, and what path and what steps are necessary in order to achieve that and not just looking on the day to day or just looking at the trees that make up the forest, but being able to look mm-hmm. at the forest. And that's easy to say. and It's more difficult to do, obviously, but that's my continuous goal of what I strive, strive to do. Okay. Mike, do you have anything? Oh. Well, I, I don't, I mean, I've touched on the idea of listening more, just trying to talk less, let the world happen around me and kind of mm-hmm. adapt to it. Um, I think what, going back to what Andrew said about the seeing the forest, you know, we, we just had to identify people that have meant a lot to us this year, have contributed to our kind of growth. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think this year we've shown as a company just how well we work together. And I think I'm very thankful for having two wonderful colleagues at Learn Your English to develop materials with and to 
you know, helps stay inspired. And Andrew is, is again, as he pointed out, you know, when you have time to think about things, you, you kind of, you, you, you identify people who you mm -hmm. want to work with and you like working with. And I think this venture is uh, over this past year has really taken off and it's, it's been rewarding. Um, what else? Oh, and just that, that I think we touched on earlier, like this idea of small things leading to big success. And, and I think I, 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 I had the benefit of experiencing that in my, my own studies, uh, Leo, I'm sure you have as well with your studies, but then also with this venture and, and just in life, just trying to be a better person and small yeah. things add up over time. If you Absolutely. hold yourself accountable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are very good lessons. Oh, I, I, I'm still, I'm still thinking. But there are two things, and they're all related to basically what you guys have said. The first one is this idea of making mistakes. I, I think one of the things I've done more in 2019 was I made a lot of mistakes. But I'm going to quote Machiavelli here because Machiavelli distinguishes mistakes of ambition and mistakes of sloth. So for me, mistakes of ambition would be like when you, when you fail on a big goal or you create something that nobody wants. Like you said, Andrew, the whole idea of time. Like we waste so much of it, yet is our most important commodity. Uh, mistakes of sloth, on the other hand, it's when you don't attempt a big goal or when you consume instead of create or when you just follow the textbook instead of taking risks. So these are mistakes of sloth. So for me, mistakes of ambition always have a lesson to be learned because they teach. Mistakes of sloth, they are basically keep you grounded. They, they comfort you. So it's this whole idea of, comfort zone and the second one again going back to what, what Andrew said and just to add to what you said Mike is this idea that resolutions don't really work new goals don't will never deliver new results we have to change our lifestyle we have to change the way we see ourselves right and as we know um, lifestyle is not an outcome it's a process just mm -hmm. like learning a language is not um, an outcome you know you never fully learn the language <laughs> There's no such thing no as such I thing. fully learned the language. No, it's a process. So all of your energy, all of your focus should go into developing um, better habits, develop focusing on the process, enjoying the process, not really chasing better results. Yeah. And that's a question that a student asked me the other day is how long does it take to build a habit, Leo? And mm. I said, as my experience throughout 2019 with my habit of getting up at 5 a.m., how long does it take to build a habit like that? People say 21 days. Some people say 30. The new number is 66 now. But I would say the honest answer is forever. Because <laughs> <laughs> the moment I stop doing it, it's no longer a habit, right? Right. Think about it. Like I stopped getting up at five. Now I try to get up at five this morning. Couldn't do it. Didn't do it for be, a week. You got to be accountable, man. Yeah. Well, Take I think you have to want to do something, right? Like yes. the recent yeah. resolutions don't make a lot of sense in, in most cases is because if you wanted to do it, you'd already be doing it. So why do people quit the gym after six weeks? It's because they really don't really want to do it. And that's yeah. it's okay to not want to do something. You shouldn't yeah. force yourself or guilt yeah. yourself into doing something. You know, I always, <laughs> I forget what book I read this in, but there was a book where the author said, you know, if aliens look at earth and they asked them, so what, what is the purpose of, of living on earth? <laughs> I think the answer would be to work as hard as you can and, and die when you're 55 or something. Cause that's what a lot of people do. They work really hard and they try to make as much money as they can and they do or they don't. But there are a lot of negative effects that come with yes. 
that type of lifestyle. So I think, mm. you know, that's, at least for me, it's a very personal answer, but for me, that, that's what I always I try to think sense, about. I think yeah, it's, it makes sense, Andrew. I think it goes back to everything that we said, making small, sustainable changes to your lifestyle, to your, to your routine, to your teaching, things that you can actually stick with, right? That's mm-hmm. it. That's it. And I think that's the message that we want everyone to take from this podcast. I want to thank Andrew, Mike. This has been a wonderful year for all of us at Learn Your English with this podcast. And do you have any last messages, anything you want to say, any final comments? Not really. Just this. No. Yeah, it has been a, tw- a whirlwind 12 months. And I think for me, we, we've exceeded all the expectations that I had, which is great. And I hope a year from now we'll be saying the same thing again, that we've exceeded even yes. more expectations. And thank you to everyone who listens and thank you to everyone who has been a part of our, our network. And we have lots of really cool, we hope, cool and interesting things coming uh, in the next 12 months. So stay tuned I for promised that. A surprise. I promised a surprise. But Mike, do you have any final comments? I was going to say my ears are burning. <laughs> I know it's been a long one. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> no well, I just want to say, you know, thank you to Leo. Thank you to Andrew. Thank you to everyone out there in, in um, podcast land and in, in the audience. Uh, I'll, I'll try and uh, not try. Let's build the habit of making this uh, more of a, a regular thing. Yes, we, we need the three musketeers more often. Yeah. Yes. It's a good chocolate um, bar. The surprise, well, two surprises. The first one is um, next year we're going to have uh, a lot new, uh, a lot of uh, different um, people coming on the podcast. Um, I know Andrew has one person lined up. It's All I can say is That's related a surprise. to PPP. Yes. But yeah, it's a bit of a surprise. We have a new Macmillan in January, even though I interviewed him in December, but it's coming out. And the second surprise is we have a podcast for learners starting yes. in 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you have, if you are a student listening to us, a lot of our my students have complained that we don't have podcasts for, for students. So we have decided that starting in 2020, we are going to be releasing a podcast just for English language learners. Absolutely. Right. Woohoo. That's it, boys. And lots more all to right. come. So we'll stay tuned yes. to our social networks for all the updates and we'll get our website up to date. And uh, it's going to be a big year, hopefully. Happy New Year. A big Happy year, big year. decade. Yeah. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You've been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.